BC has had their share of bad losses this year, but Saturday's loss to Florida State could have been the worst. We're going to discuss everything that happened on Saturday, all on today's Locked On Boston College. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Boston College. I am your host, AJ Black. Today's show is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. 26-23, Boston College loses to Florida State in Chestnut Hill on Saturday. And let's just dive right in. On today's show, we're going to go over the game. We're going to go over the nuances of it with Mitch Wolf in our second and third segment. This is something you're not going to want to miss. So Boston College, they come out looking incredibly flat on Saturday. The the Florida State offense, Jordan Travis, they look like barn burners. They look like they're playing in another, another game compared to what Boston College's defense can do. And then the surprising part of all of this was Boston College's offense. They couldn't make anything happen. Now, we knew going into this game, Florida State had a really good defensive line. They had Georgia defensive uh, transfer, Jermaine Johnson, who's probably the best defensive end in the entire ACC with 10.5 sacks heading into this game. But they also had Kier Thompson, another defensive end, and a a defensive tackle, uh, Malcolm Ray, who was also very, very good. And... You know, what we expected in this game, if you were you were thinking on the optimistic side, is that Boston College's offensive line would step up and at least mitigate some of the pass rush that was going to be coming their way. They didn't. The first half of that game was a nightmare on offense. And there was a reason, there was a bunch of different things that we can get into later. But first of all, they Frank Signetti decided that they were going to go with the power running game instead of uh, trying to throw the ball, which, I mean, I guess. I mean, the, he started doing more of that once Dracovic was getting hit constantly. So I get pieces of it. It just wasn't working, and they needed to figure something else out, and they didn't. They just kept running it and running it for very, very little success. The other pieces I said with the offensive line, Dracovic was getting killed during this game. If you were a fan of Dracovic and you liked watching him uh, play, watching this game was hard to watch because he looked like he was going to get hurt often during that first half. He's getting hit left and right. He just can't get the ball out. And it was impossible for him to do anything deep because Florida State was in his face the entire game. And Dracovic, he wasn't completely innocent in the issues, too. Now, as much as we have been very, very pro-Dracovic on this pro uh, this Locked On Boston College podcast, this was certainly not one of his better games. And partially, you know, as I said, he was running for his life for parts of it, but also he held on to that ball way too long on some of those pass plays. And that's on him. Like, he's going to get rid of the ball faster than that. And... You know, if there's, you know, he was missing receivers at different times again. We've heard about this before. It just wasn't his best game. So this first half, we see this conglomeration of off offensive issues, play calling, offensive line, quarterback issues. Then the de- defense, they're not getting stops. They go into halftime down 19 to three. Travis had a pair of touchdowns and the big play of the game, a safety. They got um, Phil Dracovic to throw a screen pass to Travis Levy, who got absolutely blown up right at the goal line. It was ruled a safety, and that was the that was a difference maker in the end because in the second half, Boston College came to life. So I saw a lot of people comparing 
uh, this game to um, Steve Adazio, right? The you know they came out flat. They, that's Steve Adazio. Now a Steve Adazio game, Boston College would have lost forty to ten because once the wheels started going off on a Daz game, it just completely fell off. Credit to the staff; they didn't do. They obviously did not call a perfect game because that first half was atrocious. <clears throat> but they made the adjustments in the second half to get the offense going, to get the defense going. The defense let up a touchdown to start the second half on a nice pass by Travis over um, uh, C.J. Burton Jr., excuse me. And after that, they got three punts. That was all they did in the second half. So you can't complain about the defense in the second half. They played exceptionally well. The offense came alive too. Jakovic, he threw two touchdown passes to Zay Flowers, and he ran for one himself. Uh, sorry, he had one touchdown pass to Zay Flowers, ran for one himself, and won by Patrick Garwo. The game comes down. BC's defense makes another stop. Like, it was really impressive to see the defense kind of, you know, solidify to slow down Jordan Travis, which they did a great job of at the end. They get the ball back at great posi- uh, good field position. They start moving the ball down the field, and then mistakes happen. And then it's fourth and nine, and that's when Florida State's defense tees off on Jakovic. He can't get a straight pass out, gets intercepted. The ball game is over. Boston College falls to 6-5. and five. This seemed like a winnable game, um, and it's frustrating because you saw the mistakes. You saw how they started. They can't start games like that because you're playing against better teams. Florida State's a decent team. I mean, as much as we want to rip on them for having a lower record, they, they play, they've played pretty good of late. So BC needs to do better. And they got to do better for this next weekend because they're playing against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, who were a top 10 team for a long time. Now, Boston College is only a five point underdog heading into this game. But man, if that defense doesn't show up or if that offense takes forever to get going, they're going to be in a world of trouble. And that could, you know, that could be the signal of something needing to change in this team. It could just be systems like scheme stuff. We'll talk with Mitch about that later on. But something needs to, to, to get shaken up a little bit here because BC's, you know, when a game like this, you, you got to figure out how to get through this. And with Dracovic back there, he's got to be able to make those reads and make those throws. So a disappointing loss for the Eagles, but, you know, hopefully they learn from it and hopefully we will see the Eagles do better when they face off against Wake Forest. Now, all right, college football fanatics, have you heard about Prize Picks? Prize Picks is a daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know you will too. Prize Picks is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offers all the star players of the Power Five, as well as mid major players you may not have even heard of. You could pick Zay Flowers receiving yards, and then you could go with Sam Hartman's passing yards, and you do the over under on both. You could win up to 10 times depending on how you set up your bets. Now, when you set up your account with with prize picks, make sure to use promo code locked on when you make your initial deposit because they're going to match 100% on your first deposit up to $100. Prize picks allows mixed sports entry. So, again, as you, I said, you could take LeBron James and you could take um, Ben Roethlisberger if you wanted to. Using the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play, it's so much fun. I've played a couple times this weekend. I had bad luck this weekend, but I've had a lot of luck on prize picks in past weeks. So got my fingers crossed that I'll, I'll start to, to turn it around because prize picks is the fantasy dra- uh, daily fantasy app you need to check out. It's fun to play. It's easy to win. It's safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code locked on or go to your App Store and download the app today. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. 
This is Locked On Boston College, AJ Black. I am joined by Mitch Wolf. We're going to start dissecting Saturday's 26 to 23 loss of the Florida State Seminoles. And Mitch is always here on Sunday to help us process losses or celebrate victories. Mitch, how's it going? It's good. You know, dissecting is a good word because we'll pretty much be going over a corpse in some people's minds. So, uh, but I'm excited to be back as always. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a disappointing loss, but, um, and, and there was definitely some concerns going in there, uh, especially in the offensive side of the ball, to start the game. Um, I think a lot has been said online and, and I, and I get it that they started off really slow. Halfley even admitted it himself. He said that they didn't seem like themselves when they, when they came out of the gate and it was kind of on him to figure that out. But I think some of that also goes on to the play calling. Um, we, ta- you know, Mitch and I talk a lot about this during uh, the game when we're chatting back and forth. Um, it just seemed like really, really run heavy, which Halfley had acknowledged on Sunday was part of what they thought they could do. That seemed like a fallacy to me, Mitch. What do you, don't you think that was probably not the right move to make? It's hard to say because I think you you put together a game plan and you part of the assumption is that you're like, okay, well, I think our guys can out execute theirs. And that obviously didn't happen. And the thing about coaching is like, you kind of can't really make that change until halftime because that's when you have enough time to like, be like, okay, this isn't working. Like we need to do different stuff. Like we can't just stick with what we're doing. Uh, you can't just be like, okay, now we're just going to throw the ball all of a sudden. Like, cause you have your scripted plays, you have your game plan kind of set out. So you don't have the time to make that big of an adjustment. Um, but <clears throat> I thought that running the ball in general, like it, the biggest issue was obviously that Florida state's defensive line was owning the line of scrimmage throughout the game against the run and the pass. I mean, they weren't allowing the running backs to get in the second level with ease. They were pressuring Phil Jerkovic pretty much the whole day or Jerkovic the whole day. I'll, <laughs> I'll say this. I saw, I thought they played a lot better in the second half in terms of pass protecting. Uh, it seemed like Phil had a lot more time back there in the second half. So, but overall that really kind of doomed BC's offense from the start. Yeah. And speaking of the offensive line, it, you know, I, we're talking about it online with a, a lot of different folks and it's, it has to be a disappointing season and it's fair to, 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 to be incredibly disappointed with the way that they played. They've been inconsistent. They've had games where they look great. You know, they look great against Georgia tech, but you know, Georgia tech doesn't have a defensive front like Florida state does. They play a team like Florida state with Jermaine Johnson and, and that defensive front and they struggled that, and I, specifically the tackles I thought looked pretty weak. Mitch talk a little bit about what you saw from the offensive line. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I thought that, I mean, so Christian Mahogany was out and that I think hurt to be uh, the Eagles in the run game, but you know, they had guys come in that were d- decent, but you know, Tyler Rabel and Ben Petrillo really struggled at tackle facing Jermaine Johnson and Kier Thomas, who had a arguably, who had a statistically better game than Johnson, but I thought that Johnson made a significantly bigger impact, but you know, the interior guys pass blocked decently well, um, but in the running backs, like once they finally started involving the running backs and the, ta- the tight ends and the pass protection in the second half, then things started to click, which I was like, okay, finally, we're doing this. This is the smart thing to do. But, you know, both guys really got victimized in a variety of ways. You know, they got beat by athleticism around the edge. They got beat by specific pass rush moves, and they got beat just by getting overpowered by either the defensive end. So just overall, a, a really tough performance. You know, I, I was talking with you about this earlier that a lot of people are saying like the O-line was overrated in the preseason. I'm, I'm not sure that that's specifically true. And I'm going to argue with it from more of a semantic point is that I wouldn't say they're overrated. Like I would say they were like, you said, disappointing in that we expected guys specifically like Vrabel to take a step forward and he has been hurt. So that's been part of it, but you know, he hasn't really progressed this year. You know, you kind of expect Petrula to be a stalwart on the right side, but he really hasn't, I don't think he's improved that much since, you know, 2019. He's kind of just been the same player, which against 
decent teams and bad teams, that's fine. But when you're playing, you know, guys who are really good and might be playing on Sundays, most likely in the future, you know, he kind of gets exposed. Yeah. And, and I think it was Petrula. And I, I hate pointing out kids for certain plays that get got beat bad. There was one play, and I want to say it was the second half where he just got blasted on a play. Um, and it, I, I, it was you, the toss sweep when they uh, when yeah. a linebacker tossed him right into sink field and caused a tackle for loss. Yes, because Petrula basically tackled him. Yes, he just got beat physically, and you know that that was just kind of a that was the the symbolic uh, play of the game. I feel like you know just mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened. Um, now I didn't talk about this in the first segment, and this isn't more a question to to uh, to Mitch here, but I don't know where Trey Barry was. <laughs> We haven't yeah, heard I, mean, I think he had I think he had one target and I'll say this, you know, Florida State has a very athletic back end. So that might have been part of the problem. Uh, I'm going to try to find where his snap splits were. But yeah, I mean, they really just weren't trying to throw the ball to him. I think they were trying to work the ball deeper down the field a lot in the first half, which really I didn't love that strategy. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't really know what was going on there. He had yeah one target. Um, not that many snaps, it seems. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Sh- I'll have to rewatch it again, but. Yeah, that was that was very odd. They didn't go to the tight ends more. I think they only targeted Lucetti like t- twice, and one of them, oh, Barry only played fourteen snaps, so he might have been hurt at some point. Um, you know, he might have reaggravated that knee injury, so that might be why. Okay, okay. Now, you, there, we're going to talk, Mitch and I, on Monday, uh, Tuesday show, excuse me, a lot about the coaching staff and, and get you know talking about where this coaching staff sits. And one of the biggest question mark, questionable plays of the game that people are all pointing to. It ended up being the difference maker was the safety. Uh, now it was a, it was a screen pass to Travis Levy. He didn't get out of the end zone. Now you're a you're a scouting person. You're into the X's and O's, Mitch. Do you agree with that play call, or was that just doomed from the start? So I think that calling screens against this type of team is a good call because you are you're going to confuse the pass rush, and ideally a screen like that slows them down because they'll be be like, oh, like this might be a screen. I'm going to rush slower, and that <clears throat> I mean they were getting killed, so like dropping back to throw a deep pass might've gotten Phil Dracovic just sacked in the end zone. So that could have been a pro- the issue. Uh, a lot of, they were pretty backed up. So running could have had the same thing. I think they thought, okay, we'll maybe catch them with the screen. And really the screen was there for, in terms of like drawing the defensive line in and then getting the ball past them. It's just a matter of that. A linebacker just flew in and blew it up. So, you know, I'm not too upset with that. I think the other one that people were most upset about was, um, when they went for it on fourth down in the red zone and basically just kept running Pat Garo up the middle in shotgun, which especially at that point when the run game really wasn't going anywhere. And that was something that kind of, it happened a little bit in the second half too. I'm, I'm fine with their commitment to the run game, but I do think that they need to start throwing a little bit more, especially on third and short uh, just to maybe give the defense a different look, because it seems like no matter who's at quarterback, the defense is assuming PC is going to run the ball at the middle on third and on third and three or whatever. So they need to start giving them some different looks there. And part of that reason could be because Dracovic did not look a hundred percent. Yeah. And he got, and it didn't help that he got the snot beat out of him for the first half of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even before that, like the ball was not coming out of his hand cleanly. He was, you know, throwing balls into the ground. What was your thoughts on Dracovic's play? Yeah, he's had, he's honestly had a bit of that problem. Even going back to last year where he'll just kind of short arm throws out of nowhere. That happened a lot more this week. And I'm wondering if that had to do with maybe he just kind of had a little bit of a setback with his hand, um, you know, from the game last week or whenever uh, maybe the cold weather kind of made the injury, like made it worse. I, and they were, uh, uh, Tim Hasselbeck was making a big point about how the cold weather, you know, affects your grip strength, especially when your hand is injured. So, you know, if you don't have as strong of a grip on that ball, you can't throw it as hard or throw it as far. 
So I think that was part of it. But I think also, I mean, so like we talked about the offensive line struggle, but there were also times where Jerkovic just held onto the ball far too long and he needed to get rid of it. Like there was a play down in the red zone where he, I think it was the play that was originally a fumble, but then they called an incompletion where he had Zay on a little whip route going to the outside and he just stared him down and didn't throw it for some reason. So, you know, I, I, a lot of the issues were on the offensive line, but Phil also needs to, you know, play faster, get, get the ball out more quickly, especially when, you know, the offensive line isn't playing its best. And I think that right there, what you just said there, you know, all the, all the teeth gnashing about whether he's going to go pro next year or not. I think this game really solidified that he's not a complete passer yet. Like there's still Mm -hmm. a ton of, like he has his elite moments, but he's still not consistent enough. And I think some of the things that you said, if he went to like, say like you didn't declare, but got enough scouts to talk to him, you know, the, the, the lower draft grades might start to pop up where he might go. Yeah. Maybe I need to come back for another year. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think that, you know, if it, based on this, based on like the totality of his performances, I think if a team kind of gave him a grade, they'd probably say he was a, you know, maybe an early day three, a late day, excuse me, late day two pick. So that's the end of the third round because he does have that physical skill set. Uh, but, you know, there are these inconsistencies. There's the injury concerns. So I, I think that he's like, listen, like I can come back, put together a really good season with most of the team back and improving and I can, you know, really raise my stock up. So I, I don't think BC fans have to worry about him leaving for the draft early at all. And he's going to be buying dinners for uh, Zay Flowers for the next month and a half. So <laughs> um, anyways, well, in a moment, Mitch and I are going to talk about the defense. Now, speaking of good things, let's talk about Bilt Bar. If you haven't tried a Bilt Bar by now, you are missing out. They say it's a protein bar. It does not taste like one. You know why? It's 100% covered in chocolate. It tastes delicious. Now, most protein bars are chalky. They're waxy. They're hard to eat. Sometimes you need a glass of water to choke some of these things down. Not a built bar. A built bar is an experience. I have one every day around 2:30. It's my midday snack. I love them. I have one with a nice spot can of seltzer, and it is it gets me through the end of my day. It gives me the energy I need to focus and get my work done. Built bars are low carb, low calorie, low sugar, and high in protein. And our the health benefits. It's delicious. Now listen to the flavors they have right now. They have coconut, raspberry, mint brownie, coconut almond, salted caramel, double chocolate, and cherry barcia. And the best part, they have some specialty flavors that you just need to go to BuiltBar.com and check out because they change them so often. There's some really good ones that you can find on their website. So head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. This is AJ Black, Locked On Boston College. I'm also the editor and publisher of BC Bulletin. I'm here with staff writer Mitch Wolf, who joins us on Mondays to talk about the previous game. Mitch will also be joining us on Tuesday this week. Um, we're gonna we're gonna throw an, uh, a change up here on Tuesday. We're gonna not do our usual laugh at Steve Adazio, talk about UMass, talk about the games around the country. We're gonna talk about the the BC coaching staff and where they stand. At the as they exit year two, so you're going to want to hear our thoughts on that. So check out tomorrow's episode, Mitch. We're going to start talking about this defense who came out looking flat and looked like every BC defense we've seen for the last couple of years a little slow, couldn't really manage what Jordan Travis did. But come the second half, they put together quite the uh, the effort. Talk a little bit about how you saw the performance progress through the game and what maybe some adjustments you saw. Yeah, I thought their turnaround was extremely impressive because. 
this is something that I said that I think that if, if this was a Steve Adazio coach team, it would have been about 40 to 10 at the final instead of 26 to 23. Like that team would have just absolutely quit. But I think that they, you know, got them. I think the biggest issue was early on Florida state had a really good script of plays. Initially, they were doing a lot of motion uh, both before and at the snap to get BC defenders moving around, get their eyes where they weren't supposed to be and kind of get them out of position that allowed them to get some big plays on those initial drives. And then at the end of the day, there were times where, you know, Florida state was just more athletic than BC at key points. You know, Jordan Travis made a lot of plays with his legs as a runner and even just to get outside the pocket, uh, they're running. I mean, their running back room is good just in general. Uh, their receivers made some plays. You know, BC's was they got Brandon Sebastian back, but they were down Josh DeBerry, who's probably their best player on the uh, on the back end. Uh, but yeah, like you said, second half they really turned it on. Aside from the first touchdown they gave up out of the half, which I mean, after that they didn't allow any points. So you know, twenty four points uh, as a defense that's not the best, but you know, you should be able to find a way to win with that. And ultimately they couldn't, but. You know, I think, again, this was kind of the issue where there wasn't really a lot of pass rush. You know, Marcus Valdez had a very solid game, but, you know, a lot of they had the issue where they would get some pressure, but then they couldn't really finish at Travis and get him to the ground. So they, you know, got a lot of pressure, but he was able to evade it and get outside the pocket, like I said, create plays. Yeah. And that was I think that's the big issue that, you know, it's that one piece that BC has been missing is that like extra step to get to get to the quarterback. They seem like for the last three years, they've got guys like Valdez or Shita Shita Salah, excuse me, that just can't get to the quarterback in time. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's frustrating to watch. Now, I know you have some thoughts. We have not really talked about Cam Arnold's play. I want to talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about Cam Arnold. Um, Now, Cam, you know, he was a freshman last year, played safety. He was thrown in after Mike Palmer's injury at the end of the year, did a nice job to end the season. Then halfway moves him over to linebacker. And as he kind of re-envisions that 4-2-5 defense, but you know, he's had his moments. I mean, he's been kind of inconsistent. Talk about what you've seen out of him in his first year as a linebacker. So on NFL Twitter, there's this thing where um, somebody will post a meme and it's usually of Kyle Shanahan, like looking down a microscope or somebody or looking down the barrel of a, looking down the, the scope of a sniper rifle. And it's pointed at like, the quote bad defender on a defense, you know, so it'll be Kyle Shanley looking at some like, like Daniel Sorensen for the chiefs who's, you know, been really struggling this year. And basically I think that that is kind of where Cam Arnold is fitting. Like a lot of defenses are picking on him. They're forcing him to be the conflict defender. So basically when they run a play and, you know, basically they are running some kind of read or something where Cam Arnold has to make a decision um, or he has to go a certain way. And basically wherever he goes, the opposite, the offense is going to go the opposite way. So it's not, so some of it is him making mistakes. Like he had some issues fitting the run earlier in the season, like against Syracuse and Louisville, but then in the passing, it's more like, okay, like he's, it, it, there's not a lot he can do. Like, it's just the offense is just going to go the opposite way of him. So it, it looks bad at sometimes, but other times it's just like, all right, there's, you know, he's, he's just trying his best for lack of a better word. Do you think he has a higher ceiling than what we've seen? I think so, because like you said, you know, there are some really nice moments where he like comes downhill and gets some big hits on the outside. Like he obviously has the athleticism and the speed to cover most of the field. I think, I mean, he's, you know, he didn't play much last year as a freshman. He was playing safety. This is his first year really playing linebacker. He's kind of adjusting to, you know, a new weight and such. So, you know, I think next year he could take a step forward and kind of improve his play. But right right now it's a little bit of a struggle, but, you know, I I wouldn't read too much into it. And now we with the linebackers we we saw Isaiah Graham Mobley return that was obviously a big deal to get a um, you know speedier linebacker back but the big injury news heading into this game and half we talked about it he didn't felt like he didn't make the excuses the way Adazio sometimes used to but just said they're banged up and it's true you know Josh DeBerry was out 
How big of a loss was DeBerry in the way the defense played? I think early on it was more of a struggle. Um, but even so, you know, I don't think it was as catastrophic as I thought. You know, I think there were times where they didn't get to guys on near the sidelines because of the lack of speed. And I think that's where you missed DeBerry. But, you know, they moved Elijah Jones in there and he's a pretty different player from DeBerry. Honestly, like he's really tall and long and everything. So, but I thought he played decently well. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a bad performance by him from any means. Uh, I, I think the issue though, like you, then you kind of start digging into your depth and again, like their players are decent, but it's like, there's just not a lot of experience. So you have a guy like CJ Burton, who is a four star, but he's a true freshman. You know, he hasn't played a ton. So he, he got victimized on the Florida States, the touchdown in the third quarter where he just got out beat out by a guy who's much bigger and stronger than him. So, you know, that stuff's going to happen, but you know, I thought they did a decent job. Uh, covering for DeBerry's absence. It wasn't, at least in the second half, wasn't as catastrophic as I would have expected. Um, so, but hopefully he's, you know, back and ready for the game this week and the bowl game. Yeah. It sounds like uh halfway on a Sunday press conference said that he, he, he may, he didn't say the hopeful thing that he always says, which is the most vague injury report you could possibly get, but he <laughs> says he expects to have DeBerry back and Salah back this week. And he, he talked about Salah being important too. I mean, he's been the starting defensive end. I just haven't seen him do that much. But that's... yeah, he hasn't really made a ton of plays since they've been playing like ACC opponents. Was there any word on Mahogany? Uh, he didn't mention him during the press mm, conference. Okay. Uh, so, yep. Now, Mitch, we're going to go. We're going to let you go in just a moment. I want to get your thoughts on one last thing. It has nothing to do with the defense and the offense. What are your thoughts on FSU cutting up alumni stadium? I mean, I sent this to you this morning and I, I, I... <laughs> I think, I mean, this is, this, I mean, Florida state is back, you know, they're the villain of this conference there. They do stuff like this. You know, people were complaining about BC being the undisciplined team and which was ridiculous to me because Florida state had multiple drive killing and drive extending penalties for BC. They had 13 penalties for 120 yards, including one targeting that got a player ejected. There could have been another targeting that got a player ejected when they hit Phil high on a slide. And, you know, they had to take a lot of timeouts because of delay games and stuff. Uh, just some pre-snaps. I mean, they're just very undisciplined team. And, you know, the players in that video were cutting up the field with scissors while BC's team ops was just standing by watching, which I thought was ridiculous. And the players saying like, oh, like they called us trash. And it's like, okay, like that doesn't give you the excuse to destroy another team's property. So I'm hoping that, uh, like you said, FSU will be, or um, the ACC will be sending FSU an invoice for repairs to alumni stadiums field, because I thought that was, um, in a word, trashy behavior. Well, not even just that. I mean, like, whatever. If, like, you know, like, I know Clemson does the the cemetery for, like, their big opponents. This is freaking a 6-5 and five BC team. What are you doing cutting? Like, it's not like... Yeah, you like, just, like, like, what, like, are you going to frame that and be like, oh, look at this time we... We uh, almost we beat, but like almost lost to BC because we gave it twenty unanswered in the second half. Um, and here's a piece of turf that I cut up. Yeah, sick dude. Nice. Yeah. And for the folks that are at home going, well, if BC doesn't like it, beat them. That's not the point. The point is, FSU wants to be this world beater. They think they're the they should be the top of the ACC. Act like it. Like you beat Miami. Go ahead, cut up their turf if you're playing at, at Miami. No, they didn't. But. If you're playing Boston College and Boston College isn't ranked and Boston College has been struggling all year, what are you doing? Like, you're just, it's not. Like, frankly, don't don't cut up anybody's turf, I would say. But, you know, but doing it against BC is just like, I mean, sick flex, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, so, Mitch, we'll be joined again by you tomorrow to talk about this coaching staff. What's, where can people find you? 
You can find me at Mitchell T. Wolf, W-O-L-F-E on Twitter. Uh, I'll be posting my uh, updated bowl game projections for BC. Kind of one just like breaking down which bowl games they could go to. And then another one that's kind of just my, you know, full breakdown of every bowl game, which teams I expect to go where. And that'll be coming out this week. And uh, I'm hoping that the YouTube copy of the game gets posted a little quicker so I can actually do a film review because this game will be interesting to see what happened with Phil. Uh, But, you know, we'll see if that if that copy gets uploaded quick enough to a time where I can actually analyze it. All right. Thanks Mitch for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at locked on BC. You can find me on Twitter at AJ black underscore BC. Uh, I'm the editor and publisher of BC bulletin.com. Make sure to like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on YouTube. You know where to find us. Thank you all for listening. If this is the first time you've listened to us, thank you. I hope you enjoyed our show. Make sure to make this part of your daily routine. We talk about Boston college five days a week. We'll be back again tomorrow to talk about coaching, football, basketball, and all the other good stuff. Thank you all. Have a good one.